look, it's really great to be uh, to be with you. Um, I uh, really enjoyed my first, the first time I came uh, here and spent an evening with you folks. How many of you were present on that occasion? Can I just get some indication? Okay, Kilda, thank you. Uh, for some of you, then I'm a very a very much a new a new face, uh, and uh, I'm I'm not a stranger to Wellington City. I um, I first well. Uh, barring um, a holiday with my family when in the 1960s, uh, which seems does seem a little while ago now, um, I uh, I came here as a student to Victoria uh, in 1971. Um, it's almost 50 years ago, uh, which is uh, which kind of dates me a bit. Uh, but uh, you know. Um, I'm, I'm here uh, with you in fellowship, with, we, with you as my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Actually, it doesn't, um, you know, in terms of Christ, uh, we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord, regardless of, of um, who we are, where we've come from, how old we are, what our gender is, etc., etc. Um, we are all um, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so it's a great privilege for me to uh, be back with you. And I just get so encouraged, actually, um, to be with a group like you folks. Because uh, I, I can see that the church, the church, um, uh, uh, that there will be uh, followers of Jesus uh, you know, when my time comes to, um, to join the Lord. I know that there will be uh, followers of Jesus who will continue the work on uh, uh, for the coming generations. So um, it's really great to see each and every one of you uh, here present um, today. How many of you are here for the first time? You've never been to... Okay, wow, a special... Um, can we give them a, a special welcome? It's really great to see, see you folks uh, with us this evening. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read um, a, a passage uh, of Scripture to, to begin with, and it's uh, from the Gospel of Mark. Um, uh, it's, of course, in the Anglican tradition, uh, we are into the second week of Advent. Uh, Advent, uh, how many people know what Advent means? The second, oh, a, 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 few, a few hands. Um, uh, Advent, of course, in the Anglican Church is as we come to Christmas, as we approach Christmas, um, we have roped off, the church has roped off four weeks so it acknowledges the four weeks before Christmas, and we are in the second week of Advent. Uh, and we are, uh, I guess, the focus of uh, the second week is hope. It is hope. And, uh, and so uh, the passage that I, I wish to read this, this evening um, is from... Uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, 
um, uh, beginning uh, at verse 1. The preaching of John the Baptist. Uh, This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It began as the prophet Isaiah had written. God said, I will send my messenger ahead of you to clear the way for you. Someone is shouting in the desert. Get the road ready for the Lord. Make a straight path for him to travel. So John appeared in the desert, baptizing and preaching. Turn away from your sins and be baptized, he told the people. And God will forgive your sins. Many people from the province of Judea and the city of Jerusalem went out to hear John. They confessed their sins, and he baptized them in the river Jordan. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt uh, around his waist, and his food, uh, uh, this is a really interesting diet, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Um, Is that vegan or what? (laughs) uh, he announced to, he announced to the people, um, the man who will come after me is much greater than I am. I am not good enough even to bend down and untie his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Well, folks, um, I shared when I, I came the first time a little bit about my, my background, um, and uh, I'll start by sharing um, a little bit uh, more. Uh, I am obviously uh, am a baby boomer, um, <laughs> a baby boomer, um, although... Um, uh, someone said, uh, yeah, described me during the lockdown as a baby Zoomer. Um, which, uh, uh, and then we had these um, uh, Zoom hui or Zoom. Um, uh, and, uh, but uh, I was born in, in uh, Levin, in a maternity hospital there. And my father, my mother, well, of course, my, my mother and I returned to our family uh, farm at uh, just north of Levin. Um, and in that household, uh, our whānau, uh, there were uncles and aunties, um, my parents, obviously, uh, but also uh, my great-grandmother. Um, uh, her name was Akanehi. Um, she lived in the homestead as well. She was um, a very interesting person. Um, I'm talking, of course, early 1950s here. Um, she was about 80 years old. So she was born in the 1870s. My um, great-grandmother was a, prophet, a prophetess. Um, and... Uh, 
she was quite amazing um, uh, person. Uh, she actually, she prophesied over me. Uh, and so as a little baby, um, well, I only learned about this obviously uh, further down the track, when one day, just out of the blue, my father um, shared the, the story about um, his grandmother prophesying over me. Um, my great-grandmother was a stalwart of the Anglican Church, uh, and uh, she was considered by our whanau to be also a matakite. Do you know what a matakite is? Um, a person with, I guess, an ability to, to see into the future, um, to pro prophesy. Um, and uh, she would wake up in the middle of the night and say uh, in Māori, Oh, owe mene kua, owe kua matene, uh, a mea. And, uh, uh, oh dear, someone has passed away. Uh, this would happen in the middle of the night. And sure enough, in the morning, the phone would ring. Uh, and so-and-so had passed away as a prophesying. Um... Now, that was my first experience of prophecy um, as, as a little baby. Many years uh, later, Ellen, my late wife, and I attended um, a Pentecostal church service with my, with my in-laws. Uh, this was the Assembly of God. How many of you have been to an Assembly of God service? Okay. Um, well, uh, uh, this happened in Tokoroa, and uh, this is only a few years ago, um, and at that service there was a visiting preacher with a prophetic ministry, and he called members of the congregation to go up to the front to be prayed over. And I must confess, us Anglicans are sometimes a little slow to go up to the front to be <laughs> prophesied over. Uh, I don't know what it is, um, whether it's the kind of the English part, possibly, do you think, of uh, the Ch Church of England, I'm, I'm not too sure, but um, people are very sort of shy to draw attention to themselves in any shape or form. Anyway, he called members of the congregation to go up to the front um, to be prayed over. And he said that he would prophesy the gifts that each person had. Um, and so he prayed over me and he said, all right, you, you have healing hands. Well, it was a little bit of a shock to me uh, to hear this prophecy um, that I had healing hands. And I was there with Ellen. She was right beside me and, and heard that. I, as a number of you are aware, I, I live at Ngatiawa River Monastery. Um, I, I went there for a couple of weeks uh, and that was uh, to stay. They said, well, come and see how, you know, the folk out there said, come and see how you find Ngatiawa. Um, I guess probably living in community isn't everybody's cup of tea, um, but they 
but I was asked um, uh, to go there, and it had been um, a, a, a year or so after my wife had passed away. Uh, and I, I have to say that, you know, even though I've been a minister for, uh, for 25 years, um, uh, and um, Ellen and I had been married for, for close to 30 years, it was a shock for me uh, to lose um, Ellen, my, uh, my prayer partner, um, my uh, confidant, um, uh, yeah, my lover. Mm. So, you know, to, um, to lose somebody who had been such an important part of your, my life was, um, uh, was very, very difficult. And I have to say that um, for the first year uh, after she passed away, um, I was a little bit like a stunned mullet, you know, I just... Uh, but um, I, um, I didn't um, just... I knew that she wouldn't be happy with me if I just moped around the house feeling sorry for myself. Um, actually, I thought if I did that, she might come back and growl me. Um, so, uh, so I thought, uh, no, uh, I need to carry on. At one stage, I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, I was on a few um, committees and boards and so on. I thought, ah, oh, I'll just chuck it all in. And, uh, but no, I thought, hmm, probably not a good idea. She might come back and uh, have a few words to say. So. Um, so I stuck it out, I guess. Um, and but that that was the first year after she passed away. And it's um, you know we all grieve in different ways. Um, it's uh, there's no one way to grieve. Um, and to grieve for those who are you know your uh, your loved ones, your those who to whom you are very close. It's, um, it does take it does take time uh, to uh, to undertake that process of grieving, um, and actually, it's it's not a good idea to um, to have a whole lot of changes. I discovered, uh, you know, when you're in that process, it's a big enough change just to have lost a loved one uh, without. Uh, you know, um, you hear sometimes that people have, you know, they've chucked their job and they've moved to another city and then 18 months down the track wonder why their health has, uh, you know, taken a, a little bit of a nosedive. Um, so, uh, certainly at St John's College when I was there, uh, in terms of pastoral care, um, that if you experience grief, uh, it's it's um, often good just to stay where you are, um, and uh, if, if that's possible. So, um, anyway, sorry, that's a slight digression there. But I, um, uh, um, when Ellen was alive, we'd go out to Ngāti Awa. She really loved it out there and found it um, a haven, a very peaceful haven. And so... Um, a year after she passed away, uh, Ngātiawa asked me, well, because we were thinking of shifting anyway, because my daughter was at Tawānango Rokawa, um, which is, of course, the Māori uh, University in Ōtaki. 
Um, and she was thinking, oh, um, perhaps I should move close to Otaki. Um, but anyway, um, we, we went, um, uh, my daughter, my grandson, and myself uh, went to stay at Ngatiawa, and uh, I was, yeah, I was, yeah, originally only going to be there for a few weeks. That was two and a half years ago. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's been um, a huge blessing, I have to say, to be there. Um, I, uh, as part of Ngatiawa River Monastery, uh, we have people come and stay, of course, on retreat from time to time. Uh, and I happened to welcome, be part of a welcoming group. Uh, we welcomed a group of, of uh, mostly young people uh, who'd come down from Auckland. Uh, I noticed that one person um, was, uh, that one person was not looking particularly well. And... Um, and a couple of days passed by, and uh, I inquired how this person was going, and I was told uh, that he was not well. So I tracked him down. Uh, hands up those who know Ngātiawa River Monastery. Right, quite a few of you. Well, he was staying in Loki, which is not surprising. Um, and I've, I've tracked him down. And he was lying on a bed, but unable to move. Um, and so we just had a little bit of a chat. Um, he started telling me a little bit about his life story, um, what, you, you know, the, some of the challenge that, challenges that he had faced um, in his lifetime. Um... Uh, he confirmed that he was not well, that in fact he could not move. He was lying on bed, but he could not physically move. Um, so there I was, I'd gone into uh, the bedroom with a couple of other people um, who were part of his uh, group, uh, had shared his uh, testimony with me. Um, and I eventually shared with him uh, that I had been prayed over, um, uh, that, I, that there had been a, a prophecy that I had the gift of healing. Um, uh, of course, when I talk about this, this is the gift of healing through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm, I'm just a medium, you know, from God to me, to the hands, to the person. Um, and uh, I uh, eventually I, I prayed uh, for him, uh, lay my, uh, with his permission, lay my hands on his, uh, on his shoulders, and um, uh, and uh, miraculously he was healed. Absolutely miraculous uh, it was. And, um, he got up off the bed and uh, started walking around effortlessly. Um, 
He was completely healed, and it was nothing short um, of a miracle. Of course, he was, um, uh, you know, uh, joyful. Um, and so, uh, I just had, I just felt that God was calling me to step out in faith. Uh, and because there was the risk that, you know, I could pray and nothing would happen. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, God's timing is not our timing. So if you're expecting an instantaneous healing, that may not necessarily be the case. And since what happened here, um, um, I have prayed over other people, uh, and uh, sometimes it has happened that they have been uh, healed uh, fairly quickly, uh, other times not so. So, But I'm called nevertheless to, uh, uh, to pray over people in hope, in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, um, so folks, uh, uh, prophecy in my own life, I've discovered that prophecy matters, prophecy uh, it can happen, uh, that uh, you can be empowered by God to do God's work um, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I would be encouraging each of you, actually, to discover what are your gifts. What are your God-given gifts? Um, dare I say it, for mission and ministry, because um, what happened to that person um, at Ngātiawa River Monastery was a form of ministry, obviously. Um, and will, was part also of... Um, uh, of uh, of mission, uh, uh, in, in a sense that that was part of uh, the discipling of that the person who was uh, who was healed. Well, um, today's reading from from the gospel, um, uh, the gospel of Mark. Of course, the focus is on John the Baptist, who prepares the way. For Jesus. And we're preparing the way for Jesus as we look forward to, uh, to Christmas Day uh, and the birth uh, of Jesus Christ. Um, it's interesting uh, with the Gospel of Mark that Mark was not one of the twelve disciples. Um, uh, and it was highly likely, however, um, that Mark knew Jesus personally. Um, the Gospel of Mark portrays um, Jesus as a man who backed up his words with action. And that's a challenge for us, each one of us, to um, not only talk uh, about the Gospel, but to live the Gospel. Um, and I have to say, um, I find that really challenging sometimes. Very challenging. Um, we, 
all of us, of course, um, Tony and Māori, not hunahara tātou katoa. We, we are all, we are all sinners. We are, we all fall short of the glorious standards of God. Every single person. The only person who is perfect is Jesus Christ. The rest of us, of course, we fall short. Uh, and we uh, uh, need to seek uh, forgiveness. Every day. Um, actually, let me just share this with you that um, I ca- can't get out of bed in the morning without saying thank you to Jesus. I can't. Um, I, I can't start my day without giving thanks to God. Um, and so I tend to wake up uh, and uh, 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 relatively early, I suppose, uh, and uh, I've got time just to spend, it's good to spend time with the Lord right at the start of the day. Um, <laughs> a lot of people say, oh, how are you uh, running it? And my, uh, my response is, I'm great, thank you. Um, you know why I'm great? One, I woke up this morning. Two, I got out of bed. And three, I was still breathing. Uh, it's got to be a great day. Of course, Mark wrote, wrote his gospel for Christians in Rome. Uh, well, of course, Rome, Rome was a place where many gods were worshipped. And, and in some ways, I, I could draw a parallel, I guess, between uh, Rome and also uh, this country uh, before the missionaries arrived. Because there were many gods, uh, even if, it, if gods are spelled with a small g. Um, whether that was Tangaroa, god of the sea, Tafiri Matea, god of the wind, um, uh, Tane Mahuta, god of the forest, and so on. So Mark wrote his gospel for Christians in Rome where many gods were worshipped. He wanted his readers to know, however, that Jesus is the one true Son of God. Uh, and so he begins the gospel of Mark by proclaiming that this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God. Many would not know the truth of this proclamation until the resurrection of Jesus. Um, And so uh, Mark immediately quotes from the book of Isaiah. Um, The second half of the book of Isaiah is dedicated to the promise of salvation. Um, that Jesus came here uh, to save the world. Um, but this, um, Isaiah uh, wrote, uh, uh, this book was written um, about the coming of, uh, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and uh, the person who would announce his coming, John the Baptist. This was written several hundred years uh, before uh, it actually happened. So we're really talking about a, uh, a prophecy which uh, came which came true. Um, and so 
Uh, John is a voice. John is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. And John's call to clear the road for him meant that people should give up their uh, their selfish way of living. As human beings, of course, we are inherently selfish. We are inherently looking after number one. Uh, whereas, of course, uh, in the gospel, we are encouraged to look to love our neighbour uh, as much as we love ourselves. Uh, and so, this sort of inherent selfishness of human beings. Uh, so, John, by saying, "Well, clear the road for Jesus," means that you and I should give up um, uh, aspects of. Um, our, our life, our lives as we know it, uh, especially those aspects um, which are very self-centred. Um, that we should also confess our sins, seek God's forgiveness, and establish a relationship with God by believing and obeying his words as found uh, in Scripture. Um, so when John says clear the road for Jesus it's a call to you and I to do something about our lives about um, uh, making changes uh, in our lives about uh, healing and, uh, healing and transformation uh, in our lives um now, uh, John the Baptist, of course, prepared the way for Jesus. Um, and people who do not know Jesus, of course, need to be, need to be prepared to meet him. Okay? So, if we know people um, who we think uh, it would be a good idea for them to know, Jesus, we have to prepare them to meet Jesus. Um, now, um, you and I also have a the task, I guess, of preparing these people to meet Jesus by explaining uh, a few things. One is uh, their need for forgiveness. Now, I don't know about you, um, uh, but uh, forgiveness, uh, certainly the idea of forgiveness, um, certainly in traditional Māori society, was simply, um, well, by and large, not there. Um, and uh, the idea that you can forgive somebody, not because they deserve it, uh, but because um, you can't love, um, you can't fulfill the commandment of Christ to love others if you are feeling bitter and resentful. Uh, and so, 
forgiveness often is, uh, of course, forgiveness, forgiving the other person, but forgiveness is also um, a, a something which is healing uh, and transforming for the person who forgives. Uh, in preparing um, people to meet Jesus, we need to talk about forgiveness. We need to witness the teachings of Jesus by our own words and actions. Now, as I said before, um, we are all full short of um, the glorious standards of God, all of us. Um, I may have been, you know, well, of course, I have been. A, uh, you know, I was ordained 1994 to do the Mass, that's a while back. Um, but I, uh, every day, I have to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Um, and if I want other people, if I want other people to forgive me where I've messed up, then um, uh, several, well, several things need to happen. Um, certainly, um, I, I, I just want to get this around the right way. I need, I need, of course, every day to seek uh, forgiveness uh, uh, from God. Uh, and I also need uh, to forgive others. Just as God forgives me, I need to forgive others. Um, you and I, well, we can clear the road for Jesus um, by helping to remove obstacles, remove stumbling blocks that might hinder or stop people from approaching Jesus Christ. So I'm talking here possibly about people who are your friends, uh, who, are, are, who are not followers of Jesus, uh, people that, that you know. What, what's stopping them from taking that, that, um, that step forward? Uh, to uh, following uh, Jesus. Now, someone we might know may be open to a relationship with Christ, but can we? What? But what can we do to prepare the way for this uh, person? Um, and now, actually, I'm going to um, to talk about. Um, a certain group of people, and uh, you know, I um, I really appreciate um, the way that you greet people here. Um, uh, I really appreciate the mihi fakatau uh, that took place uh, this evening when I when I arrived. Um, uh, for me, it acknowledges uh, who who I am as a person. Um, you know, in our Anglican church, we have three tikanga. Are you, you're aware of this? Uh, this is tikanga with a capital T. Um, there's tikanga Māori, the Māori side of the church. Uh, and, and it's a mission and ministry, I guess, from a Māori, um, uh, drawing upon, I guess, aspects of Māori uh, culture, uh, including te reo. Uh, there's, uh, there's Tikanga Pacifica, of course, um, and really we're talking about a number of Pacific Island cultures. Um, well, actually, in terms of Tikanga Māori, we're talking about 
a number of Māori cultures as well. Uh, different iwi, of course, have different ways of looking at the world. Um, so we have Tikanga Pacifica, and that includes, of course, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. Um, uh, and we have uh, Tikanga Pākehā, which, of course, is, um, uh, I guess, those with English or European uh, backgrounds, but often also includes uh, people who are relatively new migrants. Uh, to Old New Zealand. Uh, so, uh, but uh, anything, you know, any gifts that I have um, are not just for Tikanga Māori. Even though I'm an ordained priest in the in a Tikanga Māori church, I'm based in Ōtaki at Rangiatea Church, a historic church. Um, uh, had its first service in 1849 and was one of the, if not the first church, I think, in this whole region. Um, and, um, and so I've been involved with the Māori Anglican Church for a long time. But whatever gift God has given to me, is, uh, it's just not only for myself. I have to share them with my neighbours. Uh, and uh, God has brought uh, you, well, me across your path, and you across my path, uh, and here I am sharing, I guess, um, uh, a little bit of the gospel with you. I would be encouraging you to be sharing the gospel uh, to preparing um, people to meet Jesus whatever their ethnicity happens to be. And, uh, and, and, and of course, it could be Māori. So I'm actually now going to focus on what are some of the major obstacles or stumbling blocks uh, for Māori. Um, and uh, one of them uh, is that the church is seen as an agent of colonisation. Uh, the missionaries are seen as people who tricked our ancestors, stole our land, committed cultural genocide, and after all, they only brought the white man's God to Aotearoa, New Zealand. And if you want to be uh, tutu Māori or truly Māori, then forget all the colonial Christian stuff and return to traditional Māori spirituality. Return to uh, Ngā Atua Māori, to the Māori gods I was talking about before. This is highly uh, prevalent. Uh, this is, uh, there, there are Māori educators uh, who are encouraging this line of th these lines of thinking. And so, um, so if, if you are approaching uh, a, a Māori person, it may be that they uh, also have some of this. They've heard some of this. They've been impacted by some of this. And so, um, let's take the first sort of, um, I, I guess, part of the critique, shall we? 
Undoubtedly, the church was an agent of colonisation. Um, and, uh, however, in many cases, I would say it was a benign, caring agent of colonisation. Um, uh, and sometimes I wonder why um, some Māori educators have chosen the church. Is it because they see the church um, as a soft target? Uh, the truth is that there were many agents of colonisation. Teachers, administrators, land agents, shopkeepers, lawyers, uh, journalists, to mention a few. Yet none of these professions seem to attract the same level of attention as missionaries. Uh, and I often wonder why. Why is it that missionaries get the bad press? Why is it that they are, you know, are seen as um, uh, by, by Māori in such a bad light? Um, is there a force which has singled out the church and missionaries for this attention? I just pose that question. The I, this question, um, you know, the idea that the missionaries tricked um, our ancestors, um, well, uh, I struggle to um, agree with this. Um, because um, my ancestors uh, were not simpletons, um, and they were not, they, they were highly intelligent people. Um, and I refuse to demean the intellect of my ancestors. Uh, they were sharp. In pre-European Māori society, you were either sharp, uh, or koi te um, uh, or you were dead. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, because uh, if you, you need to have, have your wits about you. Uh, know what you were doing, where you were going, and, and so on. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I'm not willing to... Well, actually, um, when, I, when I was lecturing at Canterbury University, um, a young Māori guy came up to me at the end of um, my lecture, and there were about 120 students in, a, in, a, uh, in the lecture hall, and, uh, uh, and I was talking about the missionaries and how I thought that some of the missionaries were really helpful to Māori. Um, let's name one straight away, Octavius Hadfield. Um, and, uh, and this young Māori guy came up to me after, after the lecture and he said to me, Oh, we thought that you were quite a good lecturer until you said those nice things about the missionaries. And uh, uh, because he said the missionaries tricked um, our ancestors. And um, my reply to him, and you know, isn't that life, isn't it? You know, sometimes we're better placed to respond to people at 
sometimes than at other times. And I, I don't know what it was, perhaps it was my blood sugar level was a little low that day, um, but I was just a little bit short. Um, I probably needed a little bit more patience. And I said to him, well, the missionaries may well have tricked your ancestors, but quite frankly, I give mine a great deal more credit than that. <laughs> um, he looked at me rather puzzled by that, but... Um, um, well, uh, Damien, we are involved, of course, in a very interesting claim at the moment. Um, cool. Uh, Koa, that's um, the, the tribe that I uh, most associate with, um, although I have other uh, tribal connections, Ngāti Tōa, Rangatira, Porirua, Naitahu in the South Island, um, uh, relations, of course, at the top of the South Island as well, and relations um, in the Hawke's Bay. But Ngāti Raukawa, which is from, roughly speaking, from, from uh, fielding to, to Otaki, um, uh, Ngāti Raukawa uh, uh, submitted its claim um, to the Waitangi Tribunal, was it about 30 years ago, Damien, is that about right? But, so we've been waiting for 30 years uh, for our claim. In the meantime, the four people, the original claimants, have all passed on. We're, it's quite a process, if you put it that way. Um, uh, we kicked off uh, just before lockdown, um, and, uh, and we've had uh, four, uh, I'm sorry, we've had three hearings, and uh, the next one, uh, the fourth hearing, which is in the northern Rokawa, up near, uh, near uh, Fielding, uh, kicks off tomorrow. I'll go um, to Waikanae, jump into my car and drive to Fielding this evening. Um, so, and then uh, get up at the crack of dawn and be at the Marae for the Port at 9 o'clock uh, tomorrow. Uh, but this is the fourth, uh, the fourth uh, hearing. I, um, I have to say that I was on the third hearing, uh, which was held at a marae called Pare Waha Waha at, at Bulls. Um, I, uh, I was really quite emotionally affected by hearing the story of what happened. Um, to uh, 240,000 uh, acres. That's a huge amount of land um, in the Manawatu and Rangitike. And, uh, of course, there are people who have been um, appointed to, uh, well, they're professional historians uh, who have looked at the history. And I think... There, these are several people who have been um, writing uh, these histories for the Waitangi Tribunal for a number of years, and uh, they, these histories all seem to 
kind of line up uh, in terms of this particular block of land, 240,000 uh, acres. And it's a, uh, it was, well, the process has been described um, as fraudulent. Uh, and uh, sadly, uh, the title, the deed of title, uh, was um, signed by a number of people um, who did not have any claim to the land at all. Uh, and so, the person who was who was pushing the land sales um, was um, uh, a. Yeah, well, he, he just went around with the, the uh, deed of title um, and got any old Māori you could find to sign it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was actually, um, I, I have to say that a few tears, I shed a few tears, actually, um, to hear uh, um, what happened um, around... Uh, this um, whole process. See, professional historians, <clears throat> the person who um, has to take some of the, quite a bit of the responsibility um, for uh, what happened um, was a senior person in the province of Wellington who um, uh, he uh, well Wellington City and Wellington Province at that time was on um, was bordering on being insolvent, uh, insolvent, and um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and what was needed really was um, to buy land at bargain basement prices and to sell it to incoming migrants at a higher price uh, to fund in infrastructure. Uh, many of those migrants who came uh, here, who bought the land, were of course Anglicans. And so um, it was great, I have to say, um, that Bishop Justin and his wife Jenny were present at uh, the last uh, hearing at Karewahawa uh, Marae. Present to hear um, some of the story. Human history, of course, is a mix, isn't it, of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. And the church history, of course, is human history: the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. Uh, we give thanks to God for the good and the beautiful. Repent the bad and the ugly. Um, say sorry and possibly undertake reparations. Uh, and then um, attempt to journey um, on towards more truth, more justice, and more aroha. Um, so that's, that's a challenge um, for the church in all of this. Uh, there may have, just to get back to this question about, um, you know, uh, the missionaries, uh, did the missionaries trick uh, my Māori ancestors? Um, well, there may well have been, there may be accounts of dishonesty among missionaries. Um, 
I would want the dates and times. Which missionaries are we talking about? And what acts of dishonesty or trickery are we actually talking about? Just not tar everybody with the same brush. And people say, oh, well, Ronnie, you're, you're, you're a bit biased because you're the descendant of a missionary, which is true. I am. Uh, my great-great-grandfather arrived in the Hokianga. He wasn't an Anglican, he was that other crowd. Um, uh, uh, oh, yeah, that's right, the Wesleyans. Yeah, the, the Methodists. Uh, he arrived in 1834 with his wife, uh, my great-great-grandma, and uh, he was there at the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi in 1840. Um, you know, as a, as a minister, as a follower of Jesus, you know, um, I, I feel a bit caught, you know, um, when, because my the fact that my great-great-grandfather, um, who was Cornish, actually, um, you know, advocated and signed the treaty. So, you know, I can't just dodge the treaty, try and spot it out and pretend it never happened. What does God expect of somebody like me? Um, mm, I kind of ponder that, uh, that question. I might come back to it just before I finish, and Hamish is signalling that my time is fast running out, so I better speed up and stop digressing. I have to say that um, some, did, some Anglican missionaries did acquire land, um, uh, but really, in the scheme of things, it wasn't huge tracts of land. Um, the Wesleyans, my great grandfather, wasn't even allowed to acquire land. Um, so, you know, um, he couldn't buy land. He wasn't allowed to. Uh, uh, did missionaries commit cultural genocide? Um, well, you know, history is rather complex, isn't it, sometimes? Um, one of the things which Anglican missionaries did was to develop a writing system for Te Reo. Now, okay, all right, let's admit this. It was to, um, to translate the Bible uh, into Te Reo Māori. But was this cultural uh, genocide? Um, I doubt it. Uh, dividing a writing system or an orthography um, as a result of that, a, a great deal of Matauranga Māori or Māori knowledge was preserved as a result. And again, I would need examples and case studies of cultural genocide. Did the missionaries just bring the white man's God? Well, given that the God of Israel was birthed in the Middle East, most of those who were followers of God you shouldn't, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I'm not actually, I'm white myself. Um, uh, but um, given that the God of Israel was birthed in the Middle East, most of those who were followers of God were unlikely to have been um, white. God is, after all, the God, however, of all tribes, all peoples, whatever their culture or skin colour. Now, does being a follower of Jesus Christ mean that you cannot be 
Turumi Māori, can't be what is called Tūturu Māori. Well, I have a, a number of friends who are theologians, no surprise here, uh, and they would advocate that you can be truly Christian and truly Māori. Uh, however, um, to be both, then some stuff has to go from Tikaro Māori, uh, and, and it did. Where I come from on the Kapiti Coast, a revolution took place. Uh, what Ngāti um, calls uh, the revolution of love. And uh, what happened was, hey, we stopped fighting one another. Iwi stopped fighting one another. Second, um, we stopped eating human flesh. Um, and, and this wasn't just because people were short on protein. Uh, this was because it was a way of diminishing the mana of a person. Um, and there was no greater way than reducing the person to, dare I say, excrement. So, okay, stop fighting, stop kaitangata, stop eating human flesh. Um, we stopped slavery. And, uh, and that impacted on the on Māori economy, actually and impacted on Māori culture and society in quite a number of ways. But the gospel uh, message of loving your neighbour as yourself eventually prevailed and we stopped um, slavery, which of course uh, was a, there was a movement in England, of course, around um, uh, that as well. So that's three. And number four, another major part of the revolution uh, was that we stopped... Oh, well, I guess utu, in the, in the sense, of course, utu is you do something to me and I do it back to you with interest. Okay? So it escalates. Uh, and, and, and really escalates to death. Uh, what the gospel provided was an honourable way out of utu. Because... In traditional modern society, if you if someone did something to you and you didn't do anything, then you lost all money. So really, you you had no choice. Um, and if you lost money, then you were vulnerable in so many um, different ways. So um, it is possible to be truly Maori and truly uh, uh, Christian, but of course, to be truly uh, Maori now is different to what it would have been, say, 300 years ago. All right, just before um, I, I finish, at the last um, hearing, Waitangi Tribunal hearing, I, I was approached um, by a member of my family to talk about a chief, a certain chief. His name was Nepia Taratoa. Um, he was baptised in 1853 uh, by... Um, the Reverend Richard Taylor. Uh, Nepia, he was given the name Nepia. Nepia Taratoa is described as the most influential chief in the 1860s, living between Whanganui and Wellington. The most influential chief. In 1973, when I was doing what we used to call Stage 3, a 300-level Māori language course, uh, I had to do some research 
And I chose Nipia Taratoa uh, to be the, the topic of my um, research exercise. And I had to write this in Te Reo. Okay? And um, some of my relations have got long memories. And the granddaughter of the person who was my main informant rang me up and said, would you present at the Waitangi Tribunal? Um, and immediately my response was, I'm sure there would be a descendant who, you know, of Nepia Taratoa who could do this job. Um, anyway, she went away and talked to people and came back and said no. Nobody was available. Uh, by the way, we only had a week to write the paper. Anyway, cut a long story short, um, I ended up uh, giving this paper on on Nepia Taratoa, um, whose daughter composed a famous uh, song and uh, which supported the Māori king at the time. Now, the Māori king, we haven't got time to go into it in detail, but the Māori king... Uh, that movement was against selling land. And this particular chief was against selling land. And, but sadly, after he died, the land was sold in inverted commas. Uh, I gave that, uh, that uh, presentation um, at the last hearing. Um, I decided deliberately that I wasn't um, going to sort of go below the radar. I was going to wear my, um, you know, as an Anglican priest, I was going to wear my clerical shirt, my collar, and my cross. Going to wear that. In front of the tribunal, certainly in front of the lawyers, uh, but uh, in front of Ngāti Raukawa. Uh, because I wanted to show that a follower of Jesus could also be a person um, who uh, could be up front to support the evil uh, in, um, in terms of pursuing um, justice uh, as part of our mission. And um, and so, uh, <laughs> as a result of, um, of uh, giving this presentation that was live streamed uh, throughout the iwi, sometimes when we, and I talked about this um, earlier, when we take a, a step forward in, in, um, in faith, um, there are risks associated. There are risks but if, uh, I believe that God called me to um, give that paper, that there was an opportunity for me to show aroha to the, the, the kuia, um, who was my main informant, also to show aroha to my uncle, um, who was my advisor and mentor, and one of the claimants, one of the claimants, um, one of the four claimants, um, who had passed away, that was my opportunity to do something uh, because they had shown so much love to me. It's my opportunity to show love back. I believe actually that the church has a really important role to play um, in terms of the treaty uh, and in terms of 
uh, reconciliation in this plan. We we have the next we've got what now twenty years before twenty forty, uh, which will be the bicentenary of the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, the church will come under considerable scrutiny uh, at this time, and as I've just shared with you, there are no shortage of critics in Māori Dung, no shortage of critics uh, um, concerning the church. And so what, what um, should the church do? I'm encouraging the church, I'm challenging, I guess, the church to know something about the history of this land. Uh, uh, to know that history, the broad sort of sweep of New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand history, but also to know what the church history is. Um, and if you're wondering where to start, one starting place um, is um, uh, a book by Alan Davidson, uh, who's a prominent New Zealand church historian. Um, so he gives you, a, a, I guess, a view of New Zealand uh, history. I think it's also important um, for the church to know what the treaty is all about, what the treaty debates uh, are about. Um, uh, because, you know, what I shared with you, you know, the, the criticisms of the church, the church is an agent of colonisation, the church did this, the missionaries did that. Um, you can't respond to it unless you have a broad, some idea of New Zealand history and some idea of church history, and some idea of what has happened also to the treaty since uh, it was signed. The church cannot um, dodge the treaty. Uh, the Anglican church most certainly cannot, because its missionaries translated the treaty, advocated the treaty, uh, and signed the treaty. And God takes... Um, covenant making um, uh, very seriously it's, the treaty is essentially a biblically conceived covenant uh, and God, if you just have to read the book of Joshua to see that God takes covenant making very very seriously um, and so this church the Anglican church um, uh, cannot uh, dodge it uh, is, is committed to it uh, and so we've got 20 years, really, to to do to make some changes, um, to look at what we've done as a church over the last 180 years or so, and um, and and you folks, um, I may not be around in 20 years' time, um, given Maori health statistics. Um, uh, however, um, you know, God, our God is a God of miracles, so uh, hopefully I might be around. Um, but your generation, actually, I believe, will be um, really confronted by some of these um, uh, issues um, over the next uh, 20 years. And um, how, can, how can we bring about healing and transformation, healing and reconciliation? Uh, in, in this land. Uh, well, folks, in conclusion, we are all challenged to prepare the way for people to follow Jesus Christ. I have to say, let me be upfront about it, there are many Māori out there who need Jesus. 
Uh, they don't. There's, uh, they need Jesus in their lives. They need that healing. They need the transformation. Uh, and who knows? God could bring a Māori across your path um, that who needs to be prepared to meet Jesus. Uh, in this land, you just don't know. Don't know who God is going to bring across your path. But at least you will have some idea, you know, got some idea that, well, there are some Māori out there that are thinking this, this, and this. Um, mm. So our challenge is, is to remove obstacles and stumbling blocks um, so that we can all confess um, our sins, be forgiven, and establish a relationship with God. Um, yeah, we're, we're, I come from a family of people that do tend to be a little long-winded. Um, but um, God has brought me here um, this evening to share these messages with you. Um, and I just couldn't think of any way of, of shortening it. Uh, because to shorten it would be to shortchange you. And... Um, you know, again, I just want to say before I finish, Hamish and I am going to finish. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I just feel so encouraged um, to see each of you um, here. Um, and I just want to say that again, that um, you, you, you're not here by accident this evening. Um, and that God has a purpose for each of our lives. He has um, good plans for each of us. Um, but also, as followers of Jesus in this particular land, we do have responsibilities and we do have challenges uh, that we will need to face over the next 20 years. And bless each and every one of you. So let us pray. Uh, 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 uh,